good to be back in Texas. This is where I was raised, back in the home of Dr. Pepper and Magellan shirts. I know like 25 of y'all out there right now are like, We were joking when it's this full that uh, the front row becomes the new back row. Hey, if y'all want to sit in the back, fine, get here early. <laughs> it's me, it's not y'all, it's me, but I'm gonna ask if you guys don't mind. Uh, I, need, I need to know, because I can't see, I need to know that in the back, you guys are able to see, like I know they got screens over here. That, hey, this, is, this shirt is not pink. Can y'all adjust the lighting on that so it doesn't? This is red, this shirt is red, and if the screen says it's lying, in the back, if you guys don't mind, another thing that threw me off, frozen computer and a pink shirt. It's magenta. Um, is everybody in the back? I know, I know that you're there. I know that you're back there. I can see that it's full. But real quick, can we do like a practice? I don't care what y'all say, but can you just let me know like that y'all hear what I'm saying back there? So no, no. We'll work on it. Uh, as a preacher's kid, here's one of the things I know about church and you're not supposed to admit it, it's sort of like the, the elephant in the room that nobody addresses, but it's kind of like a drive home. Have you ever gotten home and you've been spaced out thinking about something else and you get home and you're like, how'd I get here? Like just kind of driving, like, like hope you didn't run over anything. Church can be that way. And I wonder this, I wonder if we'd never say it because we know what to say and what not to say, but I wonder if somewhere in there we've kind of stopped believing in change. And what I mean by that is that church has turned into a routine. It's not like we're actively resisting change. We just don't come expecting that something could change. I think that in a church, we spell routine D-E-A-D. Oh yeah, it's just church. It's the thing we do. Yep, stand up, sit down. Do, communion? Did we just do communion? Do we know what that means? Uh-huh, got it. Yep, it's that thing we do on Sundays. Here's what, I wanna, here's what I wanna propose before I even get into anything of substance. Here's what I wanna propose. That I wonder, I wonder if this morning, if Jesus could change your mind on something, anything, anything at all. If he could change your mind, if you could walk out thinking differently than you walked in. If you could see it different, here's my thought. If you can see it different, if I'm able to explain something from an angle that you haven't considered before, if you can see it different, you can think about it differently. And if you can think about it differently, Maybe you can start living according to your new thinking. And if you start living differently, maybe you can start to be different. And if we're not gonna do that, let's just stop. I mean, if you're just gonna leave exactly the same, let's just call it good. We can beat everybody the line at lunch. Honestly, I'm not being funny. Like, think about that. If you're not gonna change anyway, let's just call it good. If you're here, somewhere inside of you, you believe something might happen today. Maybe today's the day where something changes. So here's what I'm gonna ask. Here's how we're gonna practice it. Argue in your mind with every single thing I say. It doesn't matter what I say, argue with it, contend with it, wrestle with it, because as you wrestle with it, you're gonna either decide that I'm right or you're right, or maybe there's something that you haven't thought about before, but my encouragement is contend with it, wrestle with it, assume I don't know what I'm talking about, assume that I'm a moron, and assume that all my information is bad. Because if you do that, You'll think about it. You'll actually pay attention on the drive home. You don't have to get force-fed anything. You can come in here, I, I'm not forcing you to believe anything. No one, no one here is forcing you to believe anything. Believe it, don't believe it, whatever, okay. Don't space out, you've heard this story. Genesis chapter 41, verse 15, it says, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said that 
of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Verse 16, Joseph, it, I, I know I've admitted this, it gives me such anxiety to read in front of people. I'm a really, really good reader. Um, you don't get up here and wear a pink shirt if you're not a good reader in front of people. Uh, but for some reason, just knowing, just knowing that people are listening, okay. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Has anybody not heard this? We've all heard this. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows, and when they had eaten them, no one would have known they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as in the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears, of, seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered and thin, blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. Anybody tuned out yet like I told you not to because you've heard this story? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Preacher's kid. I, I... And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. I remember we're at a rodeo Bible camp one time with Uncle Randy, and there's this little kid, and he's not taking advice. He wasn't there to learn. He was there to show everybody what he knew. Anybody ever know a kid like this? So he decides he's gonna match Uncle Randy for $1. I'd assume that's all he had. He's gonna match him for everything he had in the world. And I don't know if you guys know Uncle Randy, but he's not one to let somebody win. <laughs> and this day was no exception. He beats this little kid and this little kid hands him his dollar and the little kid goes, bet my dad could beat you. <laughs> you remember what he said? How much money's your dad got? <laughs> dads, dads hold this strange place uh, in our lives. There, it's this appeal to authority where if we can't do it, maybe our dad can do it. And listen, this is a, this is a dad sermon, but not how to be a dad. Men, you can probably get something out of it. This, I mean, there's always something of benefit to get out of it. This is not how to be a dad. I wanna talk to you about how to have a dad. And I know instantly that lands in several different places. I know in advance, everybody's got a different dad story. I'm talking specifically about our appeal to authority. We wanna believe that there's an authority that we can tie ourselves to, that we can hold to, that we can cling to, that somehow elevates us, that pulls us up out of our current position. And all of us have a dad story, all of us. Maybe he was absent, that's still a story. Everybody's got a dad except me, that's still a story. Maybe he was your hero, maybe he was one of those guys that did everything right and you feel like you're never gonna live up to his expectations, but you know he was a, he was a good dad. Maybe it was somewhere in the middle. I don't know if this is a good title for a sermon or not, but I don't really usually give titles, but I, I want you to, if you're taking notes, here's the title, Daddy Issues. We have all got them, everybody's got them. There's not one person in here that doesn't have some level of a dad issue, some issue that has developed specifically because of our dad story. Um, they say that the role of a father in a child's life is so important that when children conceptualize the voice of God, they hear it in whose voice? their father's voice. They think of God in the early sort of mimicking years of life. They think of God's voice as being their father's voice. You know, you think of uh, Eli and Samuel, God's calling to Samuel and he goes to who? Eli. Eli was like the authority in the temple. So he goes to his earthly authority and goes, did you call me? Because God sounds like our dad. <laughs> see how that could be a problem? Anybody see a potential red flag in that? You think of God as being your dad? I, 
this is live, and I, I, I'm trying to be aware of that. I'm not trying to damage the reputation of Lone Star by having some potty mouth preacher, but I thought that buckle bunnies were girls that went to rodeos looking for a cowboy. I was raised thinking that's what it was. I thought that's what a buckle bunny was. That's not all that it is. It's that also. It is also men who realize that their opinions aren't quite good enough, so they'll drop a name. Well, so-and-so, and I think that, you ever know anybody like this? They can't just say what they think. They have to also pretend that someone else thinks it too. That's also a buckle bunny. I hope that doesn't offend anybody. I know it's not a very nice term, but next time you hear somebody, well, you know, me and so-and-so, I was listening to so-and-so the other day. What they're doing is called an appeal to authority. They're taking their own position and they're trying to attach it to an authority that's higher so that you can't argue because if you argue back, like, oh yeah, you won't argue with that guy. <laughs> it's a trick, it's a trick, it's just, when you, when you look at the story of Joseph, what we're gonna find is that Joseph had this addiction to appealing to his authority. In Genesis chapter 37, verse three, it says, now Israel, this is who? Any Bible scholars? Jacob. Loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. We all have favorites. My daughter is with me this week, and I tell her all the time, I told you guys this, I tell her, I tell her all the time that she's my favorite, and then I tell my son that my daughter's my favorite. We all have, <laughs> Joseph, more than any of the other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. That's not all that it was though. It wasn't just that he was born to him in his old age. It actually, actually, if we're gonna be honest, it says that Joseph was born to the hot wife. This is not, hey, throw rocks at me all you want. This is not Jordan, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jacob got tricked into marrying Leah and Leah was described as weak-eyed. We might say she was unfortunate looking. <laughs> so much so that Laban, Leah's dad, had to pull a fast one and he's like, oh, mm, you got that one. And he's like, ah. And Laban's like, right? <laughs> but Rachel, Rachel, that was the pretty one and she finally has a child and that child is Joseph and, and Israel's like, that's the one I've been waiting on. And it was his favorite one. And he gives him an ornate robe. Now, real quick, I don't wanna to spend too much time on this, um, but we all, we all attach ourselves to beauty. Listen, beauty is a weird thing. And if you're like, I'm not really an art person, you attach yourself to beauty in some way. Don't underestimate the role that beauty plays in your life. There is something that we all have in our lives that we think is beautiful. Uh, if you live in a house with your dad, let me just tell you, his uh, New Balance weird looking tennis shoes that you think are so ugly, there's a beauty in those because that's what he uses to mow the yard. Right, you see what I mean? Do you see what I mean? Like everybody has a weird understanding of beauty, but beauty is an expression. It's this expression of something that's going on on the inside. We try to bring it out into the world. It's this expression. And for Joseph, his coat was this expression of his father's love. It was this expression that his dad cared about him. It was actually in that culture, it was this expression of safety. You're not gonna mess with me, why? Because my dad. Do you understand the role of this road plays? When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. Fair, fair. I mean, it wasn't like Joseph was like cool about it. He was a mouthy little jerk. He was very unlikable. He was very unfortunate acting. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. They plotted to kill him. We're going somewhere with this, and I know that we're having to cover a story that most of us learned in Sunday school, but I think, I think it's important to try to 
like shake it off. Like I said, I've asked, please contend with this story. Please think if there's an opposite opinion because it'll help you to stay engaged. We've heard this story, but I wanna read it to you anyway. They decided, no, we're not gonna kill him. Reuben, the oldest brother, the behor of the family, this, uh, the, the person that had the birthright who was actually, actually, Reuben was supposed to be the one that got all the birthright, but who do you think was gonna get it? So it was Reuben who was actually the rightful, see, we would miss this, the rightful possessor of everything that was actually gonna be given to Joseph. It was Reuben that spoke up and said, let's not kill him, let's throw him in a, in a cistern because as much as I don't like him either, I don't wanna kill him. Let's throw him in a well. So when Joseph came to his brothers, this is verse 23, they stripped him of his robe. They stripped him of his what? There's more, they stripped him of his identity, right? They took his identity because the robe was what made him kind of who he was. They took that away from him. They take the thing that makes him, him. The ornate robe he was wearing, they took him and threw him in a cistern. The cistern was empty and there's no water in it. So they steal his robe, they throw him in a pit. Then they got, to, they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to the father and said, we found this, examine it to see if it's your son's robe. Does this, I don't know, we were confused. Do you think maybe this looks familiar? He recognized it and said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then jo Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for many days. Okay, so that's what happened. But Joseph doesn't know that. Marty Solomon, again, again, I mentioned it last time I was here at the Bama podcast, but Marty Solomon says this, and I think it's such a good point. He said, if you're Joseph, you're sitting in a pit, you're mad, you've been thrown in there, they took your coat, and what are you thinking? Oh, when dad finds out. You just wait. He's probably gonna give me two robes. He's probably gonna throw them in a cistern. Me and dad... I'll tell you what me and dad are gonna do. Remember that appeal to authority? Me and my dad, oh, just, oh, turn up, wait. He doesn't know that his dad's been lied to. So in his mind, I'm fine, I'm waiting, my dad's gonna fix this. Anybody ever felt that way? It's fine, my dad'll be here, my dad'll fix this. Anybody ever felt this way? Wish I had a dad to fix this. <laughs> Don't laugh, uh, it was a trick. So he gets sold into slavery. Well, okay, so dad was gonna save me, but now he gets sold into slavery. We don't, we can't relate to that. We don't know what that's like. We have never experienced anything close to what he's experiencing. It's probably the first time that he felt failed by a limited father. It was the first time that he suffered the consequences of a father who was limited. Let me tell you this, if you have the best dad, even if you have the best dad in the whole world and you have a great relationship and he does everything right and he really tries, he shows up, he's a good husband, he's a good provider, he's all the things that dad's supposed to be. Even if you got that guy as a dad, you will have to face and forgive his humanity someday. Be prepared. When you realize your dad is limited by his humanity, be prepared, it's a rough moment. But here's the kicker. If you have a terrible, terrible dad, same thing. Same thing. You're gonna have to face the fact that your father, as bad as he might've been, was limited in his humanity. Maybe there's things he could've done better, but he was never gonna be perfect because he is just a person that's one generation ahead of you trying to figure it out. Maybe he got it wrong. Maybe that caused damage. Maybe that caused scars. But listen, we are being raised by men who are just trying to figure it out themselves. 
For you to put any sort of unfair expectation that goes beyond that is not on them, it's on you. Jacob loved Joseph. I know that he loved Joseph, would have done anything for him and he fails him in a large way, but not by abandoning him, by what? Spoiling him. See, sometimes a really good dad can do a really bad job trying to do a really good job. Some of the most spoiled, entitled little jerks you'll ever know are people whose dads tried too hard. I, I don't know what I was expecting. I thought maybe I'd get a few more amens. If I'm stepping on your Magellan toes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sometimes your dad tries to do good by you and he spoils you and turns you into a jerk and the world has to teach you some of the lessons he couldn't. And those hurt way more. Okay, so he's in Egypt, he's elevated, things are going good, it says. So uh, Potiphar, kind of a father figure, this Potiphar, he's this powerful person in Egypt, left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything, anything. He didn't think about anything, he didn't care about anything, including his wife, apparently. Just say it except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Uh, PG-13 rating on the sermon, by the way, I forgot to warn you. It's their children. But he refused. He doesn't refuse and go, no, that's not right. He doesn't say, oh, I could never, that's terrible. I, I, I'm not into that, that's not, I'm not, that's, I'm not that guy. See, we like to think that Joseph is this stand-up figure. Maybe he was, but that's not how he says it. What he says is, with me in charge, what me and Potiphar think is, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. Do you see what's happening? He's still orbiting around this father figure, this daddy issue of like, I'm important because of who my dad is. Okay, now I'm important because of who I work for. I'm important because I'm connected to people of power. I'm important because I know important people. I'm smart because I know smart people. I, we all know people like this. And he doesn't say, no, I could never, it's wrong. What he says is, I can't, I'm too important. I'm out of your league. <laughs> no, was that, okay. He does the right, time, right thing, but he's still appealing to his immediate authority. So listen to this, verse 16. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison in the place where the king's prisoners were confined. First of all, he obviously didn't fully believe the story because if your slave had done that, you could put the slave to death, no questions asked, no problem. He obviously questioned it, he was mad. But here's the point I wanna point out. Uh, his cloak is what? Stolen again. There it is again. He's like, okay, maybe I was a jerk you know, to my brothers, and okay, I guess, like, I didn't like it, but I get it. Now I'm out here doing the right thing. I'm out here obeying the rules. I'm out here being a good guy. I'm going to church on Sundays. I paid four, three, couple dollars percent tithe. <laughs> Following all the rules, and this is what I get. My coat gets stolen again, and once again, I get thrown into a pit. Anybody, I, I, I'm not saying names. We've all been there of, you know, ever since I came to Jesus, I gotta, I gotta tell you, ever since I came to Jesus, things have gotten a little bit harder. And I don't appreciate that. <laughs> you know, I asked, uh, I asked God to remodel my life, and you know what he did? He knocked out a wall. 
and I don't like that. And so I'm gonna try it my way for a while. Another father figure fails to see the injustice. He's connected to a powerful figure. That powerful figure fails him. This is what happens when you, this is, I mean, if, if you want to kind of gauge in your own life at your job or in your family or in your social circles at the golf course, the rodeo, whatever the case, wherever you, wherever you hang out, you'll know that you're struggling with this when you're constantly trying to catch the attention of the right people. So Joseph, he's thrown in prison and he, obviously it hasn't, hasn't broken yet. It hasn't taken hold yet. He says, but when all goes well with you, he's in prison, he's talking to the other prisoners. When all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Uh, mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. See, I need a new father figure. I need a new dad. I need somebody else who's gonna, you know, a, Pay attention, he's gonna notice me. I need somebody else who's gonna help me out. I need a person in my life. I have an idea and I need to call somebody powerful and tell them about it. Sometimes I think that the enemy can convince you you're only one powerful person away from all your problems being over. And sometimes that powerful person is Benjamin. That was a money reference. I just assumed, I just assumed. <laughs> if I just had a little more money, if I just had a little more power, if I just had a little more influence, if I just had this guy, if that guy, tell, tell somebody about me. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve to be put in this dungeon. He's still, he's still. Tell someone important about me so that I can escape my insignificance. Oof, that could literally be the whole sermon. Tell someone important about me so that I can escape my, I need to be noticed. Social media has been a great outlet for this. Because you can't just do something. You gotta make sure you capture it so other people can notice it. So maybe somebody important can notice or like the right people will share it or you can get famous or young people listen. It's a trap. Here's what he says. Find me a dad who will come search for me or would notice if I'm not there. I'm a middle child. We suffer from this. If I get lost, is anybody gonna come looking for me? All you middle children, let me tell you. No. <laughs> so he says Pharaoh, and the reason he says Pharaoh is Pharaoh wasn't a man. We know he was a man. But in, but in Egypt, Pharaoh wasn't a man. He's a go-between between a man and the gods. He's the man who stands on behalf of the gods and he is the go-between. He's actually kind of what we believe Jesus, that's what we teach Jesus to be, is that he was fully God, fully man. And that's exactly what they taught that Pharaoh was, is he was this go-between between the gods and man. And so there was no one ever more powerful than Pharaoh. So when he says, appeal to Pharaoh, what he's saying is, get me in contact with the most powerful dad figure ever. Not a mortal man, he was a deity. And I know that like in the Bible stories, we think that Egypt was a couple like mud mounds and people in robes. Egypt was an empire. Egypt had technology the world had never seen yet. If you've ever seen the, the movie, what is it? The girl that's like taken the capital and the Hunger Games. That would have been cooler if I could have just thought of it right off the top of my head instead of explaining it first. But they get brought into the capital. That's Egypt. It's like, this, the, the, the pyramids, do you know that we don't have the technology today to build the pyramids? Does anybody know that? 
We still, we still right now could not replicate the pyramids and that was there present during this. I mean, this is big buildings and big technology and it says that they had a crowd of magicians who did things in the dark arts that we couldn't explain. So when we say Egypt and we say Pharaoh, we're not talking about some guy in a mud hut. We're talking about power that we, it's an empire that we couldn't possibly understand. Okay, so Joseph was not brought before a king. According to Egypt, he was brought before the go-between, between man and the gods. Joseph was brought before the most powerful man that would have ever existed in the life of Joseph. Okay, Genesis 41, something's changed. God has done something in the life of Joseph. Somewhere in this process, things have been shook up a little bit. Here's why I know. It says, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have a need. And Joseph could have said, I'm your guy. I'll be like, we could be like, I'll be Robin. I'll be Robin. You be Batman, I'll be, I'm Robin, that's fine. You be the big, big you, little me. Be like a team. Because that's what an appeal to authority does, is it wants to connect itself to something powerful and important. It's a dad issue of like, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be the son. You can be like, like my dad. <laughs> Ferris said, I have had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered, no, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Something's changed, hasn't it? Something's happening. Joseph has realized that no matter who he's under, it's never enough. Every father figure in his life has failed him. And somewhere in here, he's started to consider that maybe God is that figure. Maybe if you're an adult and you still blame your mom and dad for all your problems, that's a different heart than the son that was broadcasting his dream to his brothers. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna cry through this. I just, I can feel it coming. I already know what I'm about to say. Behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile and seven plump and attractive, uh, Cows, I'm a cow guy, I'm around cows a lot. I love, I, am, I love Mexican rope and steers, old Mexican rope and steers. They look like a John Wayne movie. I just, I love them. I know what it's like to be like, man, that like little bodied, little frames, big horns, old developed, like black tips on their horns. I could talk to you guys about cattle for a long time. I love them. Let me tell you two words I've never used to describe a cow. Plump and attractive. <laughs> Instantly, everybody's a little uncomfortable because they're like, man, you don't really say that about cows, dude. And how many of them were there? Uh-huh, yep, you're right. Came up out of the Nile in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land. It, doesn't say thin, we interpret it to thin because it was just too weird. When we put it in English, it's just too weird. We just say thin. What it says is ill-favored and what? Weak-eyed. We heard that already, didn't we? Wait, 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 wait. Seven plump and attractive. Jacob had to work for Laban for seven years to get the attractive Rachel, that was his mom. But the same words are used to describe 
the seven ugly cows. Ill-favored, weak-eyed, wait a minute, wait a minute, I know this, I know this story. In the chiasm, I can't get too distracted here, but in the chiasm, the ascension, dissension of the story of Joseph, this is the story of his lineage. This is his story. This is God talking directly to Joseph through the mouth of Pharaoh and going, wait a minute, I know this story. I've heard this story. It says the seven favored, the seven ugly. All of a sudden, nothing else matters. It's a message loud and clear. The lineage, the chiasm of the story of Joseph, the lineage is the middle. That's the most important part of the story. Jacob, as limited as he was, could have never got Joseph in front of Pharaoh. The limited father, your earthly father is limited on what he can do. What it says when God says, I'm giving a message and Joseph goes, I know this, Pharaoh, listen, here's what's gonna happen because God, the ultimate father has spoken to Joseph and now he's speaking to Pharaoh, not as a subservient, he's speaking to him with what? Authority. He's speaking to the most powerful man on the planet with authority that God had given him. And then it says this, this is where I'm done. I, I, I hear the music, I got you. Genesis 41 says, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger, and he dressed him in what? Robes. I'm gonna tell you right now, the robe that Jacob could afford to give Joseph was nothing compared to the robe that Pharaoh gave Joseph. It says he didn't th steal his robe and throw him in a pit. It says what? The opposite. He pulls him out of a pit, gives him a robe. That's why, that's why that makes so much sense that when the brothers come to Egypt and they're desperate and Joseph could have gone, oh wait, now you know what's up, sucker. He said, no, 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 this whole story, this. God started talking about my lineage. God started telling the story of my life to Joseph. You, you guys, well, you guys, I get it. You guys screwed up, but so did I. God was involved in this whole story. It says, because he was able to forgive. Why? Because he trusted that God. Now, God was telling a story. And I'm gonna tell you what, God is gonna let you suffer more than your father will let you suffer. Doesn't make it more fun, but when you know God's involved, when you know God's invested, your daddy issue, addiction is broken and you go, God, just take me where you want me to go. Let me forgive my dad. I'm gonna let my dad off the hook because he didn't have the ultimate power. He was limited just like I'm limited. My kids are gonna have stories about me the same way I have stories about my dad. Your kids are gonna have stories about you. Let it go. God is invested in your story and he will see it through. Let me pray. Lord, in the same way that you told a story about the lineage of Joseph, God, I pray that you'd let us forgive our dads, forgive our parents, forgive our authorities. God, for the times when our identities are broken and it feels like we get thrown in pits. God, that is part of the story that you're telling in our life. Forgiveness, forgiveness is the ultimate trust that you're involved and that you're doing something in our life. When we let things go, even when we're right and we let things go, it says that we believe you're invested. You're telling our story better than we could. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. about that this morning if you've never asked Jesus to come in your heart and you know that that's what's missing in your life that that relationship with the good good father he's a good father
that doesn't mean that we always have to agree with him because the reason we don't always agree with God is because we're not always good but he is I'm going to tell you something Jordan started out like when you walk out of this building you need to wrestle with some of this stuff Sometimes we got to let some things go so we can take a hold of some things that we need to take a hold of. But you can't grab a hold of something unless you let go of something. And I just want to challenge you today. I want to pray. Um, if you've never accepted Jesus as your, first, as your personal Savior, that's the step, first step in having peace in your life. And... You don't have to know everything about God to worship Him because none of us do. His ways are so much higher than mine. I don't understand it, but here, here's the, the, the beautiful thing about it. Joseph didn't understand along the way. He didn't understand so many things. But at the end of the day, when he began to get his eyes on the Father, everything else dimmed in his life and it wasn't that important let's pray thank you Lord for loving us thank you for your blessings this morning you are a good good father we thank you Lord that we uh, have been given access to you oh God and that our identity is in you and that, that we can put on this robe of uh, righteousness that, that is not our righteousness, but it's your righteousness, not because of the good things that we've done, but because of who you are. You bless us and our identity. Our identity comes from you, oh God. Help us to know that. I'd like for you to keep your heads bowed. If you've never asked Jesus to come in your heart, the truth is that we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory that God has for us. But if you've never accepted him as your Savior, simply by raising your hand, uh, we want to put a Bible in your hand. By raising your hand saying, Preacher, I need Jesus in my heart. I need to make him the Lord of my life. Slip, slip your hand up high right now. Anybody? Preacher, that's me. Yep. Yep, thank you. Back in the back. Thank you. Leave your hand up. Thank you. We're going to put a Bible in your hand. I'd like for us to all to pray this prayer together. And I feel I feel led to do it this way this morning that that there there are those here this morning that that you you really you feel compelled to to begin that walk like you've never been compelled before and and I just want to encourage that so what I'd like to do is is invite everybody to pray this prayer and if you mean it in your heart to invite Christ to come into your heart just just pray to God let him come into your life let's all pray together just say dear Lord Jesus thank you for loving me Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I invite you into my heart. 
I invite you into my life. From this day forward, I give my life to you. Help me to read my Bible, to pray, show up for church, and get baptized. Help me to follow you. I love you, Jesus. Teach me to love you more. I'd like for you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. How many prayed that prayer and, and you either renewed your covenant with Jesus this morning or you made a covenant for the first time? Raise your hand. Preacher, that's me. Yeah, thank you. All over the building. Yeah, I knew that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm so proud of you. Please stand to your feet with me if you would. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> Make you think about things. That's good. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for, uh, did y'all did enjoy that? I mean, uh, I... You always leave more than you take, Jordan, and I thank you for that. It's a privilege to have you here. And uh, let's let's ponder these things as we go. And uh, we have our prayer team up here. If you need special prayer for healing, you need prayer for anything, our prayer team's here to, to pray with you and for you. And uh, please avail yourselves of, of prayer if you need special prayer for anything. And we're here for you, and I just invite you all to, to uh, continue to worship throughout this week because He is worthy. Amen. So, Lord, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for your, the privilege we have of knowing you. And, and Lord, may we uh, resolve our daddy issues with you and also with our earthly fathers, oh God. And help us, Lord, to be faithful people and to understand that our identity comes from you oh god because you created us and you made us so we we declare that this morning we thank you for it in jesus name and the church said amen god bless you i wish you do love y'all god bless you